Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. You belong here. And we thank you for taking the time and the opportunity this morning because we are going to come and we're going to celebrate through singing, through all kinds of various musical forms, through the Bible readings and prayers and uh, looking at his word. It's going to be a wonderful morning. And I hope that you're prepared for that. If this is the very first time that you have been here, we'd love for you to take the card, the guest card that's in the pew in front of you, pretty long card. We'd love for you to fill it out in its entirety, and when you leave today, just drop it in one of the offering boxes at each exit. We would certainly appreciate that. Join me in prayer, and let's continue this time of worship. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come. We thank you that we belong to you, and that every single person belongs in to your body of Christ. And we ask God, we ask that we would be sensitive to your spirit this morning. We ask that we would listen as you speak, that we would participate and invest as we sing words that are aroma of praise to you. That's what our desire is. And God, as we dig into your word this morning and continue our focus on a biblical worldview, give us insights and understanding that not only challenge us, but the Father will respond to. Let this be a day. There will be a day we will remember that the power of your Spirit has moved us forward to accomplish your heart's desire. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel. Would you stand as we sing together? Thank you. 
Like a snail, I get here sooner or later. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, church family. Are you happy and you know? Well, let's say amen. Amen. If you say it and you know it, say amen. amen. All right, join me in prayer. Father God, we are so blessed that we can come together as believers, that we can come together and lift your name, praise you, and thank you in the ministry of music. Music is so, so important to us. Music is worship in you. So as we come, Father, to lift up our voices, may it be pleasing unto you. Again, Father, we can never thank you enough for your goodness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we can reflect back before we were saved. What a difference Christ makes in our lives. We come together, Father, to thank you for, you know, once our lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I Thank God, for justice came and said, demanded I should die, but grace and mercy had something else to say. Oh, no, that he, they have paid the price. So I thank you, Father. That's why we can come this morning and sing to you, and we ask today that the preacher bring the word to us. We pray, Lord, that we will see the power in your word and give us know-how and the ability, Lord, to follow and hear what you're saying and follow your direction. Now we ask that you will bless every aspect of this service. Thank you for our ushers. Thank you for the sound booth. And certainly, Lord, thank you for the ministry of music. All this day, Lord, we lift up your name. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
greatest joy, the greatest comfort. Let's sing about that.
scripture reading for today is from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Please follow along as we share the scripture. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If, there, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Are you a king? Then said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, I reason. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Distorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. We are blessed by the reading of these words, for these are the words of the Lord. Be still and know that He is God. 
Thank you, choir. Such a great job. Last Sunday, we addressed the topic of a biblical worldview, in particular, an understanding that everyone has a worldview. Tried to communicate as best we possibly could what a worldview was. Specifically, it is the personal way that an individual understands his or her world. It's the lens that we see the world from. It's a grid through which a person interprets reality and, and depends much on personal factors like family, how you grew up, your education, your, the culture that you are around, the experiences that you've had in life. All of those come together to help you to form a worldview, how you see the world. This morning, I want to talk about a slice of that worldview, which for, as believers in Jesus Christ, should be the entirety of how we view the world. And that's through the scriptures, a biblical worldview. Specifically, a biblical worldview is a worldview whereby decisions and actions are taken because of what we find in Scripture. We study the Word of God, we come to the conclusion through God's working in our lives that we understand this is what God desires. This is what His heart says. These are the principles by which we live. These are the commands that God has given us. George Barna stated, without a biblical worldview, all the great teaching goes in one ear and out the other. There are no intellectual pegs in the mind of the individual to hang these truths on. So they just pass through. They don't stick. They don't make a difference. And I think that's important to understand. Because right now, we're not making as great a difference in the world as we should. So what makes a biblical worldview different? Well, I think there are a number of factors. First, I believe that a biblical worldview should affect our whole life. Not just one segment of it. Not just our Sunday life. Or not just our spiritual life, but in essence, every aspect of our life, a biblical worldview should, should affect it. And that means that we should understand and believe that absolute moral truth exists. Perhaps the most important question that anyone can ask is that which Pilate offered to Jesus Christ in the scripture that Sharon read when he said, what is truth? Unfortunately, like so many others, the cynical Pilate was not really interested in pursuing the truth because he didn't even wait for an answer. Apparently, Pilate had either concluded beforehand that, that either it was irrelevant or that it was found outside of this Galilean that was before him. Today, we live in a pluralistic society where the greatest virtue seems to be tolerance of all views, and various truth claims are at best dismissed as irrelevant, or worst-case scenario, they're scorned as naive or bigoted. 
Modernism, which has held the sway for several centuries, it continues to influence the thinking of many. It's known as humanism. In this worldview of humanism, truth is objective, meaning that it's found in human reason alone. There is no idea of a supreme being. Man himself, through the area of scientific naturalism or liberal rationalism, comes to the conclusion of what's the very best. And through their reasoning, they put those principles in place. Ethics, however, are relative. Ethics are created by society. In other words, it depends on the situation, what is right and what is wrong. There's no specific, absolute right or wrong, it just depends on the situation. Therefore, Christianity is seen as a threat to humanism because both claim ultimate authority. Modernism or humanism by its human reason that man can reason through and come to the decisions that they need to because we are a highly intelligent people. And Christianity, by our revelation that we believe that which God has given us in his word and through the spirit who lives inside of us, is authoritative. So now we move from modernism or humanism to postmodernism, which in our society either has already or is in the process of embracing in opposition to modernism. Now this pendulum has swung in the opposite direction like it does so many times as you go through the course of history. The swing probably is due to the spiritual vacuum created by rationalism, the idea of reason, and the influx of Eastern religions in the 60s and 70s, Eastern mysticism. Postmodernism, it scorns rationalism, that idea that man can reason through anything that they absolutely need to. Intellect is replaced by will and reason and emotion. And you can see that every single day if you are reading any news or newspapers. Both truth and ethics in postmodernism are relative. There are no absolutes. The reality is constructed socially or as what's happening today is deconstructed by the rewriting of history. It is hostile to any philosophy or any religion that claims absolute truth and authority. Chuck Colson, in his book a few years ago, wrote this. In our postmodernistic age, however, your truths are yours and my truths are mine, and none are significant enough to get passionate about. And if there is no truth, then we cannot persuade one another by rational arguments. And all that's left is sheer power, which opens the door to a new form of fascism. And that's what you're seeing in our world today. The idea of whoever has the power or the influence. Because truth 
and ethics are relative. It depends on who's in power to decide what is right and what is wrong. And we have seen this through the course of history. You see, truth by definition is a statement that conforms to fact and reality. Absolute truth is truth that applies to all persons in any given situation, whether they accept it or not. It is absolute. God said in Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no other Savior. That is an absolute, truthful statement given to us by the Creator. It's a non-negotiable for those who embrace a biblical worldview. You see, truth is absolute. It is not relative to the situation we find ourselves in as it comes to biblical values and principles. Truth can only be understood by submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Another absolute statement. So, Jesus said in John 8, 32, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, therefore, Knowing means understanding. Therefore, it means that you have embraced it in the entirety of your life. You will know the truth, and it's that truth that will set you free. It isn't a moving target out here, depending on who has the power or who has the greatest mind or the most money or the greatest cultural standing, are those celebrities that so many follow. No, truth, absolute truth, is firm. It is infinite from the Creator God. So if you are going to embrace a biblical worldview, then we should understand and believe that absolute truth, absolute moral truth exists. And secondly, it also means that our biblical worldview is based upon the Bible. A biblical worldview is the way that a person assesses the world, and according to what God says in his word, and not just according to what the world tells us, or what we ourselves, in our great intellect, reason out to be the truth. It comes from a source, a standard. Years ago, when I was in college, I made the determination. Because, you know, in those college years, you're, you're trying to figure out where you are. You may have grown up in a Christian home, as I did. But it's in those college years you began questioning all kinds of things trying to seek out what, what is reality, what is truth, what, what are the moral concerns, what are the ethical concerns, what is the basis? And it was during those, those days of searching that I made the determination 
that God's word was going to be my standard from that point on. And I understand there's different ways to interpret the scriptures. But I believe that God's word was given to us for the specific reason to live it out as our roadmap of absolute truth, absolute moral truth, to make the decisions and be the light that he has asked us, commanded us to be. Paul's admonition to the believers in ancient Colossae couldn't be more contemporary or helpful today. Colossians 2.8, he wrote, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So it's not a smorgasbord of picking these spiritual values from all these different religions and putting together to a place that you say, you know what, I think these are the principles that are very best. Because when you started with the term, I think, you were already on the wrong track. It comes with an understanding that there has to be a standard. For me, it is the Word of God. And this is what I chose. I embraced because I believe it is the living Word of God with God's power and His Spirit inside of me to help me to understand and to strive to live it out. He says, watch out for all of these issues. Philosophy, empty deception, the tradition of man, elementary principles of the world. Rather, hang on to what Christ said. His life. Everything according to Christ. So to have a biblical worldview, I believe that there are six keys that are indispensable for us. The first one is the accuracy of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's divinely inspired word revealed to mankind. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Paul said, listen, it's the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, that communicates clearly what God's desire is. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21, through 21, Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter made it very clear. And both Peter and Paul were referring to the Old Testament. We understand that. In the New Testament books, we have found to be, in my view, as inspired. But he said, listen, Yes, men wrote these, but it was by the power of the Holy Spirit 
that they wrote these words from God to us to guide us in life. The accuracy of the Bible, the scripture says that they are reliable. It says that it is God-breathed, given to us by God. The second that I think is critical is the sinless nature of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. What Hebrews says. The third is the literal existence of Jesus. Not as a concept, but as a true man. We believe that the fullness of God came to earth and lived in the human body of Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. He is all God, he is all man. Colossians 1.19, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. <coughs> so he was born by the Virgin Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was man, and the scripture says that all of God's fullness dwelt in him. The literal existence of Jesus. Fourth, the omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience of God. We believe that God exists. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That God exists. There is an acknowledgement across this nation, not as much as it used to be, in the 80s, I think maybe 84, 86% of people believe that there is a God. But there's something more than that. Because you have to not only believe it intellectually, you have to believe it with your spirit, your soul. You have to understand all the characteristics, or as many as you can, of God and say, yes, that God is the one who changed my life through Christ. He is the God who continues to impact my life, to help me make the decisions. He is the creator, and he brought me into existence. And he did that for a purpose. He doesn't just exist in my mind because I think there had to be some kind of supernatural to create everything, but he is personal. We believe that he is the standard by which we measure everything else. These statements that I am presenting this morning, it is good for us to take an inventory in our soul. Because everything I'm saying, I think most people here, if not everybody, would say, yeah, I agree with that. The question is, are these the principles or the statements of truth that actually are leading our life? 
helping us make the decisions and the actions across the board. It's one thing to believe these in our head. It's another thing to actually internalize them and live them out in our life. It's easy to acknowledge them on a Sunday morning, but it's hard when you're going through the trials of life to say, God, I don't know. And so we need to look deeply and see where we are. We believe that God exists. We believe that he is the standard by which we measure everything else. We believe God created everything that exists. <coughs> Genesis 1.1 said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a very straightforward statement. And if, according to the accuracy of the Bible and the scriptures that Paul and Peter used, we find that it is truth, divinely inspired. God created everything that exists, and he created it out of absolutely nothing. We marvel at some of the scientists these days because they take materials and they're able to create things, and, and people are in awe. But give them nothing to work with, and what will they create? But that's what God did. We believe that everything is held together by God. Again, Paul said in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We are always concerned that somehow this world is going to meet some kind of devastating blow. When I read Scripture... If he is before all things, in other words, before ever anything existed, he, he was before. And then in him, creation came about. And then it says, in him, all things hold together. He's going to take care of all the details according to his plan. And nothing will surprise him. Nothing will take him and say, oh, gosh, I, I, I didn't see that coming. Because God knows it all. And he's going to hold it together. Does that mean that, that wars aren't going to exist? Of course they're going to exist. Jesus said that. In this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations. He says, listen, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. That's not the end. God's got the full plan in place. And he's going to hold it together. Those are the things that we believe. You see, God is omnipresent. And this attribute points to the truth that God is infinite in his relation to creation. And that's important because we are finite. He is infinite. Before the beginning of time, past the ending of time, as we count it, he is always. He's omnipresent, infinite in his relation to creation. You see, he is present at one and at the same time everywhere. Is that a hard concept for you? That's a hard concept for me. But that's because he's infinite. Everywhere at the same time. The psalmist said in 139, verses 7 through 10, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God will take care of us because he is one and everywhere at the same time. God is omniscient. This attribute points to the truth that God is infinite in his relationship to knowledge. He knows himself and all other things, whether they be actual or merely possible, whether they be past, present, or future. God knows it all. And he knows them perfectly from all eternity. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and lay bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It says nothing is hidden. In creation, and that means in the recesses, the recession of your mind, the things that you think you have pushed deep, deep away. Nobody knows but you. Well, they're uncovered before God. We think we are so creative. And yet God sees everything. He knows everything. we're not prone to want him to, then that's a discouraging statement. But if we are an open book to God and we strive to follow what God desires, we're happy because he is the one who knows. He's the one that we can count on. He's the one who will guide us step by step along the way as we listen, listen to him. You see, God knows our physical characteristics. He knows our inner thoughts and difficulties because he knows all things. Jesus, in, in, uh, in his conversation with John on the Sea of Galilee in John 21, 17, and Jesus says on this third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And what was John's response? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What a statement of faith. John had come to the place to say, Jesus, you know it all. Unlike sometimes we tell somebody, gosh, you're just a know-it-all. <laughs> Jesus does know it all. Also, a third attribute, God is omnipotent. God has the power to do what he wants to do or not do it. Job 42.2, you remember Job? Job? Job had quite the adventure. There was a lot of questions going on, and, and just so you remember, in, in a couple of weeks... Dr. Lemke is going to be coming in and he's going to be giving us some insight on the topic of why God allows evil and suffering. 
our world. He's not going to give you all the answers, I'll tell you that up front, but he's sure going to give us some insight. Because every single day we see evil and suffering. Right now we're seeing suffering in Florida. In the Ukraine, we're seeing evil and suffering in the war. And I could go on to probably more than 120 countries of the world that there is conflict going on and suffering because of oppression. Besides the suffering that you and I go through consistently because of things that happen in our lives. But Job says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours will be or can be thwarted. Job comes to this amazing statement through everything he's been through. And he says, I know. There's that word again, know. An intimacy, an understanding that without a doubt that you can do all things. There's nothing God can't do is what Job is saying. No plan of yours can be thwarted. God's plan, his plan will always be accomplished. Even if we fail our part of it, he will make sure that his plan is accomplished. In Jeremiah 32, 17, the scripture says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God has the The fifth key element, I believe, is salvation by grace alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the scripture says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Salvation is by grace alone. We can't work. We can't work it hard enough. We talked about in modernism the idea of, of intellectual reason, humanism that says, oh, we can do it. We can do it on our own. We don't need any kind of supreme or belief in supreme being. Well, where has that gotten us? Not far. But here, he gives us the understanding that if we want salvation, meaning not salvation from a particular event that's happening in our life, but if we want that eternal life, it comes only by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It's only by grace you have been saved. That it's not, not by yourselves. It comes through faith. It's not by works. And so, we don't earn work to gain our salvation. Neither do we work or earn keeping our salvation. It is eternally secure. But it all comes by the grace of God. It's the sufficiency. And so if you're trying to if you're trying to work toward salvation, I'd ask you to stop. And as the choir sang a few moments ago, be still. And let the grace of God bring you to salvation through Christ. 
And if somehow you have gotten into this idea that to keep your salvation that came through Christ as a believer, that you have to keep working hard, let it go. Do the things, the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, but do it because of the grace God's given you, not under compulsion of trying to achieve. You see, we believe that in believing and obeying Jesus is the only way to have eternal life and to be or to be reunited with God. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, the scripture says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No matter how hard you work, doesn't matter. There is no one else, no under other name by which we must be saved. What a grace that he gives us and salvation that he provides. Number six. Sixth key element in a biblical worldview is the personal responsibility to evangelize. We believe that mankind chose to rebel against God in the, in the Garden of Eden. And because of that act of rebellion, sin and death entered the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 shows that sin and separation from God. Paul writes, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all a very clear understanding that through those events in the garden, sin entered the world. And death, that separation from God. Therefore, we believe it is the responsibility for each believer to carry out the Great Commission and to share God's gift of salvation to each and every person in this world. And that was on Jesus' heart as he ascended to heaven. In Matthew 28, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you till the very end of this age. The responsibility to evangelize. These are our six determining factors of a biblical worldview. Because if any of these are denied, then you are not embracing what the scripture says in its entirety. There are a lot of other doctrines that we could dive into, but the reality, these are the six key doctrines to our faith. We're going to talk about them more in depth in the next three weeks. But today, I would ask you, through what you have heard and hopefully listened, and God's Spirit speaking to you, that, that you, would do, you would commit today to do your very best
to live your life and make your decisions based upon a biblical worldview. Striving to embrace these six principles into your life as you make the decisions, as you go about in your relationships with other people. And with that is the sixth one. As you leave, as you encounter people, care about them enough to share the gift of eternal life that comes through grace, through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we move into our time of invitation that people will make the commitment. There will be a choice today, a decision. Not that saying, well, you know, I, I have believed these beliefs, these key principles for a long time. But that there would be action and action steps. That we might take the opportunity to dust off some of those beliefs that we have on these six areas. And they become, once again, something to be passionate about. Once again, something to hold true. Not just to say, I have this doctrine and, and, and I'm going to make sure that it's conformed to everywhere I go, but rather the understanding of, of the transformation that Christ has given and the word that you've given us, God, and the power of the Spirit inside of us and that you're everywhere wanting us to communicate the gospel. And I pray, God, that our commitment will be passionate. And we won't just float through life. Because you have given us a place here in Sun City West and the surrounding area where you have planted us to live out a biblical worldview. And I pray, God, today, whatever decisions need to be made, that they will be firm, compassionate. Because in worship, you want us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand and let's sing our invitation.
seated, please. Before Nancy shares our announcements, I wanted to refer to a survey that we're taking. It's in your bulletin, and we'd like for you to fill that out if you would. You'll see at the introduction of that, it says, tell us what you think. As a church, we desire to honor our veterans, fallen soldiers of our country, and independence that these brave men and women have fought and died for. Uh, before you jump to a conclusion, thinking that there's an issue, there's not, we are striving to figure out what is the best time to honor uh, our servicemen and women, and also to celebrate our, our independence. And uh, so what we would like is for you to give us that feedback. Uh, there is going to be an usher at every exit. Once you fill this out with, uh, with what you have, if you just drop it off, we would appreciate that. Uh, the idea that Sunday morning is our time of worship. And these are the times that we have taken to uh, honor or to celebrate through music um, our patriotic understanding. And we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to tell us whether you like it during our time of worship or if you would like us to do that at a different time. So if you would, take the opportunity, fill it out, it's important, and uh, just leave it with us. Or uh, if you'd like to drop it off through the week, we'd rather have it today because we know how that works. But uh, if you would, we would certainly appreciate that, okay? Nancy? The beautiful altar flowers today are provided by Susie Van in honor of her dear friend Karen Lackey's birthday on Wednesday. Happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> Susie, I think you were successful in making it a surprise. <laughs> Out in both lobbies, there are sign-up sheets for the movie, which will be the Mulligan on the 27th. If you are coming for lunch at 12.30, there is a cost of $5, but you can begin signing up today. There's also a sign-up sheet out there for single women to indicate that you're going to be part of the trip to In-N-Out Burger on Thursday. You're going at 2 o'clock. Late lunch, very early dinner. But they need to know how many are planning to come. And then tomorrow at 12 noon, there's a women's fellowship lunch in the CLC. Women, you need to bring your own lunch. But come for a time of fellowship and dessert will be provided for Nancy, you. Yes. Do they need a driver? Do they need a driver to in and out? Uh -huh. uh, you'll need to take that up with them. <laughs> Also in both lobbies, there's a sign-up sheet for the weekend conference for doc with Dr. Lemke. The bulletin has that insert. You will see what the different topics are for the sessions. But on Friday night, there will be a catered barbecue dinner from Dickie's Barbecue. We need to know that you are coming. And we also need to know that you are coming if you're staying for lunch on, on Saturday. will be a pizza and salad lunch. So please let us know for both of those both for Friday night barbecue dinner from Dickie's and lunch on Saturday with the pizza. On the back of your worship guide, you will see that the men's Bible study and the women's Bible studies, they began last Thursday, but they will be continuing. And no, it is not too late if you weren't able to sign up before. We would encourage you to be part of that. For this month of October, just one thing. That's a food item that we're encouraging you to bring each month, and all of those items go to St. Mary's Food Bank. 
you'll see that for the month of October, individual juices. So if you would like to participate in that very important ministry, those items can be brought to the church and put in our donation room. There's a box marked St. Mary's there. If you would stand, Frank Bush, who is behind me in the choir loft, is going to lead us in our closing prayer. Thank you. Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for uh, the worship service we just experienced. Lord, we pray that it gave honor and glory to you. Lord, we also want to pray for the, uh, the existence of a biblical worldview, not only just for us here, but for the nation, our nation, and for the world. Lord, we really need you and the world needs you. So please, Lord, uh, make ways for this to happen. We pray also, Lord, that you'll just uh, bless us through this next week and help us to uh, have a good week. Help us to have a time where we share the gospel with someone that we come in contact with. We just thank you again, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.